Our text this morning comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, uh, verses 1 to 13. It reads like this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel, Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance, or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So I've used this story that I'm about to tell you before, but it is so appropriate for this particular text that we're looking at that I'm going to tell it again. And that is this, that uh, I've mentioned that I'm, uh, one of my guilty pleasures is James Bond movies. Now, I recognize this may be problematic for some of you, but, um, but it's just, I'm confessing it. So, you know. But one of the things that I will admit is there were a few years back, uh, now we're about to go through it again, apparently, there was a new James Bond. Do you remember this? And this James Bond was blonde. I mean, really. Can you imagine? And I was very skeptical 
about this new James Bond. And so I went to this first movie that he was in, and one of the things I noticed right away was that that famous tagline was missing throughout almost the whole movie, right? I mean, what's a Bond movie without Bond saying Bond, James Bond, right? But there was, there was this method that they used. And so you go through this whole movie, and as I said at the beginning, I'm very skeptical. At the end of the movie, he finally uses the phrase. And by that point, I was like, yes, you are. Yes, you are, James Bond. Right? Now, some of you may be wondering why I'm telling that story, but it will become apparent. And if you are paying attention, as we read our text for this morning, you will notice that a certain name wasn't mentioned until the very end of this part of the story. Now, we, are, we began last week this series called Earthy Spirituality, and we're looking at the life of David. And I want to talk a little bit about that life before we get into the text this morning. I want to recognize that the David story is an integral story in Scripture, in fact, we, uh, it is the most documented life in all of Scripture. We know more about David than any other person in the Bible. The story of David is told very intricate, intricately and exhaustively in the Old Testament. And so we have to ask the question then, why is the David story so important? And I think there are a couple of reasons. The one, the first, is that the David story is the prequel, if you, if you will, to the story of Jesus. After all, Jesus is known as the son of David. And so that's part of it. That, that line of David is so integral in the story of Israel and God's work with the nation of Israel. But Eugene Peterson makes the point, and I think he's correct, that the story of David also gives us a reference for the incarnation of Jesus. And we, have, we talked a little bit last week about why we're calling this series Earthy Spirituality. The story of David connects us to real life. Now, I want to offer one caveat uh, and just maybe a bit of a warning as we go through this process. If you read along with us, and I encourage you to do that, read First and Second Samuel throughout the summer and just get more familiar with the story of David, you will find that it is, in fact, an earthy story and that there are, in fact, some very problematic issues with David. You know, the, the idea and the, the fact that we uh, know David as a man after God's own heart, as you steep yourself in the story of David in First and Second Samuel, you will find yourself wondering about that designation. Because David's story is real. It's cracks and all. 
And so that is an important thing to recognize. And I think this is important for us. And I think that part of the reason it's important for us is that we have a tendency in the modern church towards Gnosticism. Gnosticism, in its most, you know, in the most basic definition, is the idea that, that body, flesh, is bad and spirit is good. And so you'll have this idea that, well, um, the, you know, anything having to do with our, with our physical life is bad and sinful, and everything that has to do with our spiritual life is good and blessed. You know, we see this in the way that uh, we church people oftentimes talk about the sacred and the secular. I would make the argument that that is a, a worldview that is foreign to the scriptures, because the scriptures see life as a whole, and the story of David draws us into the earthiness of that worldview. The biblical view of life is more holistic. It takes everything into account. And when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we talk about a gospel that is embodied, that took on flesh. And so it is important for us to recognize and think through some of those places where it's a little harder to make those connections. Jesus embodied the gospel for us, and then we in turn are called to embody the gospel for others. Think of uh, the Apostles' Creed. At the end of the Apostles' Creed, we say, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. We are a people who live and practice an embodied faith. The third thing I want to point out is that this idea, this earthiness, um, it grounds us. It connects us to uh, re the reality of life. Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what I'm trying to kind of just really hammer home for us this morning is this idea that, that the, the lives that we live, our real lives, not our pretended lives, not our over-spiritualized lives, not the lives we talked about where when you had a, you know, a to-do in the car on the way to church with the family, uh, the one that you leave in the car and when you come in you say, how are you today? Oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, everything's great. Right? But, the, but the real life, the life where, when, where we can share our struggles and our brokenness and our needs with one another. And I think that if we can enter and recover the David story in that way, it gives us a world that helps us understand what it looks like to live a life of faith. To live a life that uh, orients us to God and allows us to engage in that messy, earthy spirituality. 
So as we enter that story, we start at the very beginning, uh, or really not the beginning, because the beginning of the David story doesn't start till really chapter 16 in 1 Samuel, which is not the very beginning, right? But, but for David, it is. And so we, uh, in chapter 15, if you read that, this is where the wheels fully come off of Saul's kingship. We talked a little bit about that last week, but he does some things that cause God to tell him um, in no uncertain terms that he is no longer favored by God as king. And, um, and then God says to Samuel that he is to go and anoint a new king, one of Jesse's sons. Now, a, a humorous side note. Um, we hear this in uh, verses 1 through 3. Um, it says that the Lord says to Samuel, you know, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. In other words, get over it, Samuel. Get about it. And I'm sending you to Jesse. Uh, I've chosen one of his sons. Now Samuel is afraid with good reason, because he already anointed one king. That king is still alive. If he goes and anoints another king, there's going to be problems, and Samuel's going to end up dead. And so he's worried about it. Now, this is interesting and, and kind of humorous. There's a couple of little humorous pieces or things that, um, that make you wonder. So a humorous side note. In... Um, 1 Samuel 15, 29, it says that he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. So um, God, it's saying right there that God doesn't lie, right? But here in verses 1 through 3, God tells Samuel to go and anoint a new king. Samuel says, oh, wait a minute, I can't do that. Then in verse 4, God says, well, take, you know, take a sacri you know, do a sacrifice. You know, so it's almost like, well, God does not lie, but he's willing to obfuscate the truth, right? He's willing to do a little bit of uh, misdirection here or there in order to accomplish his purposes. So take a heifer with you, you know, do a sacrifice, but you and I both know that's not really why you're going there. So then we have a parade of brothers, and we have the famous, God does not look on outward appearance, but on the heart, right? And so we have these strapping, strong, um, apparently, you know, noteworthy brothers that go by. And God tells Samuel, nope, 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 this isn't the one. Now there's a couple pieces that should be noticed there. The first is that um, there are seven brothers that that passed by Jesse or passed by Samuel who are not the king. If you know anything about um, the Old Testament, seven is the number of perfection. And so if we were telling the story the way that, you know, we would do it, the seventh son would be the one, right? Because that's the number of perfection. But it's not the seventh son. It's the eighth son, the youngest and this is where we recognize that as the story has gone on, the youngest appears and doesn't even have a name. It is, he is the youngest one. 
which is kind of a, there's a, a hint of denigration, a hint of least consequence there, right? In fact, so much so that Jesse didn't even bother to send for him, right? I mean, you know, the prophet Samuel's come and he's invited your family to uh, a sacrifice. And the youngest is so inconsequential that they don't even send for him to come and join them for this important occasion. So David really is not Uh, not only not first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh of mind, he's not of mind at all in this family. There's no name given. He's the eighth one, so he's outside of that symbolic perfect seven. He's He's a shepherd. He's tending the family's flock. This would be somewhat equivalent to, um, you know, the most menial job you can think of. The most inconsequential job you can think of. It's not a a job that's valued or sought after. It's a job for number eight. It's a job for the youngest. And so that's important. And then Samuel, after he's done this and he asks about this one, he says, yeah, no, we're not doing anything until he shows up. So send for him, have him come, and... uh, we, and then we will do the sacrifice. And then we know that when David shows up, what is the first thing the text tells us about David? It's not about his heart. <laughs> it's about how good looking he is, right? What? Whoa, man, this, this, kid's a, this kid's a good looking kid. And yet God doesn't look at the heart. So what? What is that all about? And just uh, to skip to the end there, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we, we'll talk about some reasons, but it's just one of those things, right? That um, it's noteworthy, and there are no easy answers as to if God truly cares not about outward appearance, then why does the author make such a big deal about how good-looking David is? So David shows up, and God tells Samuel, this is the one. And Samuel anoints him with oil. So now, anointing is important, and we'll, we'll come across it a couple times in this story. But the anointed of God is not to be touched. When we get later in the story, there's an incident some of you may be familiar with where David is hiding in a cave and, and, and part of the earthiness of the story, Saul comes in to, to see a man about a horse, take care of some business, and David has the opportunity to kill him, but he says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Right? So there's something special that happens in that anointing. And so David is now the anointed one of Israel and the main character of the story. Saul is no longer the, fo- uh, the focus. He's a secondary character from this point on. He is the villain in the story from this point on. Notice a couple of things about this. God is sovereign in both the selection of Saul and David. Samuel doesn't just choose willy-nilly. God indicates to him who is to be anointed. 
So uh, my favorite Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, said this about David. He said, David is not a human accident, but a divine intention. I love that. David is not a human accident, but a divine intention. In other words, God had chosen him specifically. In the anointing, the text tells us, the, in the oil, the spirit of God is moving and things will never be the same in Israel or David's life again. The text tells us that the spirit comes on David from that moment on in a powerful way. One theologian says that when the Holy Spirit anoints a person, it always has an impact on the community. It is never just a personal visitation. When the Spirit comes on a person, there is always impact to the community. So I find that fascinating because we can certainly see that as true in the case of both Saul and David. When the Lord anoints them, things change. Here's another interesting thing about that anointing. We don't know really anything about it other than that it happened. We know that Samuel, when David appeared, we know that God told him that this is the one. We know that uh, Samuel anointed him. We don't know what Samuel said to him. We don't know if there was any wisdom imparted. We don't know any of those details other than the fact that then once it's done, Samuel goes to Ramah. Great. <laughs> so it may be worthy of note that this anointing was private. There was no PR blitz. There were no, you know, billboards put up on the road to Jerusalem announcing the new king. There was none of that. It was done in private, and it stayed private, which brings us to the obvious question. Well, what does David do now? Right? So Samuel has come. He has anointed him. David now knows that he is or will become the next king over all of Israel. So what does David do next? David, it says in chapter 17, or, or 16, um, David goes, well, apparently David goes back to the sheep. Because in, verse, in chapter 17, verse 15, uh, when Saul has found David, who can, you know, with his music, soothe Saul's um, depression and, 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 and spiritual oppression, um, David, it says in verse 15, went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So the anointed king of Israel, after being anointed and told, you are going to be the next king, goes back to the sheep. And this is part of, I think, demonstrating what it is about David that makes God see him. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says that David is diligent in the small things. Now, you could understand uh, a young man might get ahead of himself. You know, the prophet shows up and anoints you. 
you can understand that, you know, maybe you wouldn't go back to work in the drive-thru at Taco Bell. You know, maybe you wouldn't go back to the sheep. Maybe now you're too good for that. Maybe now you've got bigger things to do. But not David. David, it says, goes back and forth between Saul and the sheep and continues to be diligent in the small things. It would not have been surprising if he had refused to go back. He has been anointed after all. But David continues to be faithful in the little things. He does not think himself above the task set before him. He works, he pays attention, he is formed. And how do we know he's formed? Well, we'll talk about that next time when we talk about the Valley of Elah and his battle with Goliath, because the way David is formed in that work informs what he does in that situation. It says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So in the small things, David is faithful, and in being faithful, he is being formed for the work that God has for him. For him. You know, I grew up in the Lutheran tradition, and one of the things that was drilled into me from a young age was the idea of vocation. The idea that it does not matter what your job is. What matters is that you do it to the glory of God. So whether you are a shoemaker or a teacher or a plumber or a professor or whatever it is, you do it diligently because in doing so, you bring glory to God and you are formed. So brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in a place or a season where you are wondering about the significance of what you do, remember that David went back to the sheep and he allowed God to form him in the small things. And in being formed, he was prepared for what God was asking of him in the future. And so with that, let us pray.